What would you say if someone asked you, what do I do to become a Christian? I want you to think about that this morning because you may think that people around you are not interested in God, not interested in learning about God or talking about God. That's not true. God is always drawing people to himself through the good news of Jesus Christ. So what would you say? Because sometimes it's unexpected. You don't know when people might come and just ask you that question. My wife, Mary Kay, when she was 26 years old, she was converting to Christianity. And during that time, she was having uh, a crisis. And this is often how it happens. You know, it's either an internal crisis, just kind of an existential crisis, or something that happens outwardly to cause a crisis for people. My wife was having both of those, um, really concerned about an illness and her mother and also just bothered by certain things she was doing. She was experiencing what we might uh, call conviction of the Holy Spirit in Christian lingo. But uh, she went, she said, I got to find out what to do here and, and how it is that someone is a Christian, becomes a Christian. She went to a minister and had a meeting with the minister and asked, you know, what, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm feeling certain things about what I'm doing. And, and, and the minister's answer was, you think you're bothered by some personal things in your life? You think that's sin? No, that's not sin. World hunger, that's sin. That's what you should be concerned about. And my wife, you know, she left that thinking, okay, well, it's important to address world hunger, you know, and to try to alleviate poverty, but isn't there something else about this? So she went to another minister and tried to talk about things she was going on with her and uh, how she was not sure about what she was doing with her boyfriend, the ways they were living, whether that was right before God and what she should do. And, and the, the other minister said, you know, in private, I can agree with you that there are things in your life you're not doing that maybe need to be addressed before God. But publicly, I could never say that. Publicly, I could never bring that out. And, um, and she left that interview, too, feeling like she didn't really have an answer. Um, there wasn't someone who could tell her <laughs> what it is that you do. Uh, so this is a question I have for you today. What if Mary Kay were in your life? Because there are people in your life, you may not recognize them right now, but what, what would you say if somebody came to you and said, what do I do to become a Christian? How do you help someone to respond to the gospel? And I'm, I'm doing this this morning, asking this question in concert with our Friday night series, which we're doing, where we're asking people who want to talk about God to come and talk. And you don't know what that response is going to be, whether you're involved with that or not. You don't know when there will be a time when someone might say to you, hey, what must I do? And I want you to confidently know what is the next step for people. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're wondering that very question. You're saying, hey, what is it that I actually do? I've heard the story. I get this thing about Jesus. I'm resonating with it. So what do I need to do to become this, this thing called a Christian? How do you respond to the gospel? Well, what I've done this morning for us is I've just gone through the early part of the New Testament and I've gotten these summary statements. I've gone to passages and, and, and where, where it seems like the writer or the speaker 
in the passage is, is saying this is, this kind of summarizes, this is what the response is to the gospel message that I'm preaching, or that is going forth at this time. And all I did was I went to the early part of the New Testament and said, where is that happening? Let's take a look at what they said. And, and these passages that we have for us that we're going to read here are very different. One of them, the first one is where Luke is describing the ministry of John the Baptist who came before Jesus and was kind of pointing toward Jesus and what his message and what his response that he was um, advocating was. The second is in our gospel that we've been reading through Mark, the gospel of Mark in the beginning, Mark chapter one, where Mark summarizes what Jesus Christ himself told people to do in response to the message that he was bringing. And then the third is, is passage comes from this time when the, the gospel message started to expand uh, beyond Jerusalem and Judea uh, to places like Antioch, real, really far away. And what happened then, I guess maybe ex expansion is the wrong word, it was more like an explosion of, of what was happening with Christianity there and what, what was uh, said at that point. And then the last one is the Apostle Paul on his message that he was bringing to Turkey and to Greece and saying, this is what I'm saying uh, people should do. So I thought it would be good just to read through those and, and get the response here in these kind of summary passages. So if you would stand with me uh, as you can, we're going to read beginning in the gospel of, not in the gospel, in the book of Acts in chapter 19. And then we'll go uh, each of these passages from there. So beginning again in Acts chapter 19, verse 4. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And then Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Then Acts chapter 11. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of the people believed and turned to the Lord. And then Acts 20, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Paul said to them, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And these are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please make yourself comfortable. So I think you could probably pick this out here. I don't, I don't have to tell you. Who, who can raise their hand and tell me what is it that is in common in these four passages? What do you see in each of these four passages? They're very different, uh, very different situations. Anybody can tell me? What do you see that's in each of them? Turn to strong. Yes. Repent and believe. Good answer. And that's there, isn't it? You look at that, and in one of the passages it says turn and have faith, you know, but whether they say it a little differently or not, it's the same thing, right? Repent or turn, repent and have faith in the Lord Jesus. These two things, 
repent and believe. And it's, it's interesting because these are very different circumstances, right? These are different places all over the map, even different times, very different cultures, very different. And yet, here, same gospel, same response. And I'm calling them responses, repent and believe, because, you know, when you're... Um, when you are converting to Christianity, when you're coming to follow Christ, becoming a follower of Christ, it's something that you do, but it's also something that you experience. And so I wanted to get a word that, and I think responses gets that, that, that it's something that you decide, but it's also something that happens to you. I think response is a good uh, way to capture that and when you're converting to Christ. So if somebody asks you here, you have the answer. If somebody asks you, then what should I do? What do I need to do? It seems like it's these two things, repent and believe. Every awakened soul seems to be taking these two steps, repent and believe. Now, if that sounds a little bit unfamiliar to you, it's because usually, kind of in American Christianity, that is not really what people are told to do. What are people told to do often, very often? What is it? Is it you're told to pray a prayer right, and receive Christ, okay, does that sound more familiar, I mean, I won't raise your, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us were told this is what you need to do, I've, I've done that too with people, it's like what you do is you pray a prayer, some kind of sinner's prayer, and then you receive Christ, right, now, I just want to examine that a little bit for us this morning, because are we losing something there? You know, I suppose it's not the end of the world if you're told, you know, pray and receive. But are we really bringing people to engage with the risen Christ? Are we really people and bringing people when we say that to engage with the real stuff of Christianity? And that's important. You don't really want to fool around here with this is a very kind of important moment in someone's life. Are we building a good foundation with that? And that's why... Uh, Steve Childers um, thinks not, and he says, it's not pray to receive, but repent and believe, is the saying that he uses. Not pray to receive, but repent and believe. Because we're losing something here. And, <clears throat> and I look at it, and I look at how people are coming to faith, and, and as a pastor just looking at it, I see that there is a problem here. There is a danger. And that is that if you present the gospel this way, and this is the response, then, you know, you can sort of be like making out that what it's really about is adding Jesus to your life for self-improvement. It's like you want to improve your life and, you know, you just bring in a little Jesus in your life and, it, and like you're trying to improve it and you add Jesus to your life, kind of like recycling, you know. You have this thing, you bring it in, your life becomes better. It's what I like to call the oregano Jesus. You know, you need a little oregano to put some zeist, some 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 spice, the, the spice Christ, you know, put some zest in your in your life, you know, and uh, it, that is not the message of the New Testament. That uh, Jesus is something you sprinkle on to uh, to improve things in your life, uh, and if that becomes our message, then we're not really bringing people to engage with Christ. Uh, I'm all for zesty dishes, you know, but. Um, the abundant life comes through true engagement with Jesus Christ. So, these passages say something different. Repent and believe. So what do we do with that? Now, you say, well, you know, let's, 
you might say at this point, yeah, the Bible's a pretty old book. So don't we need to update? I mean, that was so long ago. Don't we need to update what was going on back then, the things that are written in the book, in the page of the Bible? This is so old. To, to help people today, to engage with modern people today, don't we need to update that old book? Well, the problem with that, friends, is when you try to update Christianity, it loses its power. As soon as you try to update the faith, you've lost the power of Christianity. And if you want any kind of evidence of this, all you have to do is go into any mainline church. Just look at the mainline churches. Any, and I can say this, <laughs> any mainline church, and you know, this is a truth, you know, hiding in plain sight. All you have to do is go back and look at the numbers of people who go to mainline churches because that was the project in the 20th century was to update the faith in all the mainline churches. And it doesn't matter which one. You pick a Methodist, Presbyterian, any of these. With, that was the project in the 20th century to update the Christian faith. And you look at what happened to the numbers. They are decimated, the mainline churches. And that is what my wife knew. That's why she said this is not quite it because she needed power in her life. She needed power to address the things in her life, the crises that she was feeling. And she wasn't getting it there. And she understood that. That's why she kept going to something else. And this is, you know, this is a reason why I like coming to Ironworks. And this is what I so admire about your pastor, Darren, here, Pastor Pesnell, because he is rock solid about this. He is absolutely certain that the Christian faith does not need to be updated. And he's, I mean, he's just solid about this. He is not going to budge, right? right? You could hit him, you know. He's not going to move on this. That's why I like coming here. Well, he might move a little physically, but spiritually, he is not going to change his position on this. And that's, that's why the pow there's power here for you in your lives. If you're, you know, I think what it comes down to is just that this is not a palatable message, right? Which would you rather say? Can I pray? Let's have, pray a prayer and receive Christ. Would you, maybe some of you, if you were really honest, you would say, you know, when I get right down to it, I, it's just, I don't, it's not a pleasant thing to say to people, repent and believe. I'd rather not say that. And if you're being honest with yourself and that's really what you're feeling, you should know something. There is no difference between you and the Apostle Paul. Because look at Acts 20. Look at that passage that we saw. There's no difference between you because he felt the same thing. Look at the way he says, I did not hesitate. Some, passage, some translations say, I didn't shrink back from proclaiming this message to you publicly, unlike Mary Kay's minister, publicly, I didn't, pro I didn't shrink back from proclaiming this message to you. Now, why would he have to say, I didn't shrink back, I didn't hesitate? Why would he say that unless it was a, he was afraid, unless there was a, a temptation to a lack of courage there? Because he felt the same thing you did. The same thing you did. This doesn't, it doesn't seem like a palatable message to me. So I, I might have hesitated. To sh I might have not said this to you, but I did. He did because he knew it was so helpful. So we might need to change our minds about what we think is helpful for people. We might need to change our minds about 
I, I think we could probably assume that Jesus Christ knows the inner workings of people better than we do. We might have to come to that place. Because, you know, it's not only what is needed, I'm looking at this passage, it's also what happens. In the Acts 11 passage, you see this, Luke tells us, this is what people actually do in response to the gospel. They turned and believed, doesn't, or they believed and turned. Doesn't, the order doesn't seem too important. So you can have confidence in this paradigm. That's what I want you to have paradigm, uh, to do this morning. And to do that, I want to explain these things, these two things, faith and repentance, believing and repenting. What do those mean? Let's talk about that because we do want to explain them in terms that people can understand, in understandable terms. There is a need to do that because the Bible is an old book. You know, we have to acknowledge that. The Bible is very old. There's a tremendous cultural distance between what's going on in, in that culture in those times and what's happening in our, our times. And on the other side of the world, it's, you know, thousands of years ago. Okay, so what we need to do is not change the message and update it. Take the same message, though, and convey it in understandable terms. Right? There's a word for that. You know what we call it? Translation. Okay? What we need to do is translate the message, not update, not update, translate. Okay. Big difference. Not update, translate. And this is what we are about as Christians. And there are people in your lives, in each of your lives, whom you are uniquely suited to talk to, to translate this message, to put it in understandable terms. And that is what Christianity is about. That's what Christianity has always been about. It's always been a religion of translation. That's why today the Bible, you know, the whole Bible is translated into almost 700 different languages. 700 different languages. You think about that. And if you're just talking about the New Testament, it, it's, it's twice that. It's over twice that. Over 1,500 different languages have the New Testament now in, in their own vernacular, in their own language. This isn't different translations. This is different, whole, completely different languages. 1,539 different languages have the New Testament. Why? Because that's the thrust of Christianity. That is what we do as Christians. We, we're there to translate all the time because culture keeps changing, language keeps changing. I mean, you can contrast this even with other religions. You know, if you take Islam, you know, if you're a good Muslim, what do you do? You read the Koran. But if you want to be a really good Muslim, I mean, really follow Muhammad. If you really want to be a good Muslim, you better learn Arabic. Why? Because the Koran is only pure in Arabic. And that's the thrust of the religion. And the Christianity is not like that at all. It's always put it out. It's always this centrifugal, push it out, translate. And that is what you're about. That's what we're about here today. So what I want to do today is not update, translate faith and repentance in a way that I hope we can understand. Okay, let's just take a look at these two. What is it? Let's start, let's start with faith. What is faith? Now, that's hard. That's actually hard to describe because it's more not something than something. 
that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> it's more not something than something. It's sort of like um, a vessel. That's what John Calvin, a great theologian, this is the way he put it. John Calvin said, quote, faith is a rather a vessel. Unless we come empty and with the mouth of our soul open to seek Christ's grace, we are not capable of getting Christ. So what is faith? It's that thing which allows you to be filled up with the fullness of God. And it's the faith in Christ. It's Christ is really the thing rather than the faith. It's almost like a frame around Christ. You know, and you'll have friends. I don't know if you have friends that tell me. Like I, I um, used to play a lot of Ultimate Frisbee, and I used to have these Frisbee friends. And uh, I remember one friend, he's, you know, we were talking after the game. He said, and I was talking about being a Christian, what I believe. And he said, you know, that's really great that you have faith, you know, that you really believe. It doesn't really matter kind of what you believe in, but just that you believe. You know, that's so great. That's what people need. They really need to believe in something. And you really believe. Except, you know, that's the opposite of what Christianity says. It's, it's important what you believe, not even the believing so much is the thing. I don't know. You probably, I'm sure you have friends who, if you talk to them about it, that's what they'd say. I say, I really admire it. You have this faith in something. But it's not the faith that does something. It's the faith in Christ, right? If I say, I believe in Jesus, okay, with the emphasis on the I, that might be more bravado than faith. It's not that the faith that does something. It's the faith in Christ that does, that does something. So, I kind of, the clearest um, kind of illustration for me of this is, is one moment, the greatest athletic moment of my life. Um, as I said, I played a lot of ultimate Frisbee, and, you know, I tried other sports, but I really gravitated to this, you know, Frisbee game. Uh, not, I, I, I was okay at it. Um, I was well enough to, you know, enjoy it while I was doing it. I used to admire great athletes playing it. But there was one moment, there was one day, it was a rainy day, I'll never forget it, there, was, there wasn't a lot of people playing. And it, uh, there was one point where somebody took a frisbee and just winged it, and it just took off over the field. And it was, it was just so far away, it was just on the horizon. People were like, forget it, that's just a thrown away frisbee. There's no way to catch that. But for some reason, I just focused on a frisbee, and I took off, you know, it's like in that slow motion moment, in those movies like Chariots of Fire, dun, 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 and I started taking off, and I ran down that field, and, you know, the Frisbee kept going, and I kept going, there was no possible way I could get it, but I just kept going, and as I kept going, somewhere along the line, something happened. All the inhibitions that I usually feel just completely went away from me. They completely dropped off. And all the thoughts that I usually, that are usually just consuming me about my own abilities or my lack of abilities or what I can do, what I can do, I didn't, it, it was, it, they completely left my mind. And all that was there in front of me was the Frisbee. And so I just kept going. And, and, it, and the Frisbee then it started to go down to the ground. And even when the Frisbee had just begun to scrape the top of the highest blades of grass, 
I was still too far away to catch it. But just as that happened, my feet left the ground, and I was utterly horizontal. And I, and I was just propelled through space. And then just before, this, just before the Frisbee touched the ground, I had two of my longest fingers <laughs> just under the rim of the Frisbee. They got under, snatched it up. I went into a roll. My body just sort of knew what to do. I landed up on my knees. And I held up the Frisbee. I caught it. And like, nobody saw it. <laughs> I was there at the end of the field. I had made this, the, the most, this greatest athletic moment of my life. Nobody saw it. But I had the frisbee. That's faith. That's what faith in Christ is like. Everything else falls away. You don't care what people think about you anymore. You don't care about all these other inhibitions. You're not actually even thinking about yourself anymore. You're not thinking about yourself anymore. That's faith. That's when you, when it's just I'm, I'm sorry to compare Christ to a Frisbee, but it's just the Frisbee. <laughs> That's it. You got it. It's mine. That's faith. That's why when you come up here, by the way, you come to our covenant entrance day, and we have people who are saying, yeah, I want to I I be a part of what's going on here. I want to be a part of what Christ is doing in this church. You know, what do we ask? We ask this question, and the question about faith, well, how do we phrase it? We say, do you rest alone? Do you rest alone in Christ? Because that's what it is, resting in him, resting in Christ alone. When I first believed 40 years ago, when I first believed in Christ, I f and I realized what he had done and all that he had done, that was it. And I realized what he had done for me. I felt this kind of physical lightness. I felt like I had lost all dimensions. I was dimensionless. All I could do whenever I thought about it, the next few days, is just giggle. It was very embarrassing, so I couldn't stop. I, was just, I would just giggle. That's faith. All right, so how about this other one, repentance, okay? Faith and repentance. Well, that's a very archaic word, isn't it? It's a word that we only really expect to hear at high volume, right? An ordinary conversation is 65, 65 decibels. Right? A jackhammer at 35 feet is 97 decibels. The threshold of pain in a normal human ear is 130 decibels. Okay? This word we do not expect to hear at less than 129. Right? High volume. Repent! It's also a good word for waking people up during sermons. Yeah. Repent! You know, I got to tell you, there was this time in my previous church, it was called uh, Faith Reformed Presbyterian Church, where I was pastoring. And um, it was this old church in Coryville. Coryville is this rural town. It's surrounded by farms uh, down in southern Lancaster County. And uh, the church originally was built in the highest point of the hill of the, of the town. And uh, at one point, this church, very old, needed the, the roof replaced. And so the roofers in the church got together and organized a work day. So we would, people who could help could go up to, to, you know, replace the roof on this. And I wanted to help. So, you know, I climbed up this very rickety ladder. Like, I don't know how they were doing this. It was really high up onto this roof. And I got up to the crest of the roof, and I couldn't resist. Because there I was on the, on the very crest of the roof, and all of Coryville spread out before me. 
So I filled my lungs as deep as they could go. I said, Quarryville, repent! Repent! It sounded just like that, too. <laughs> this is a Saturday morning, you know, late Saturday morning. People are in their yards. They're like, wow, what is this voice from the sky? What should I do? <laughs> And the guys on the roof were like, yeah, our pastor, he really is crazy. <laughs> I just couldn't resist. Why? Because that's when we expect to hear this word. That's that volume. We don't expect it, you know, at 16 decibels, which is what God used with Elijah. No, we don't expect it like that. We don't expect it to have any kind of positive connotations. And yet, it's so Christian. You, gotta, you better believe, if Jesus Christ wants you to do something, you better believe it's good for you. You better believe it's needed. It is needed. So let's try to rescue this word from the jackhammer decibel level. Okay, let me, let me tell you what I understand repentance to be. Here is what it is. What is, what is repentance? It's this, just this, is becoming a stranger. Repentance is becoming a stranger to yourself. It's becoming someone whom you don't recognize. You know, one guy who I was reading about converted to Christianity as he was actually in a barber's chair at that moment. He was looking in the mirror. He's looking in the mirror and he just said, why not? <laughs> and that was his moment of converting to Christ because that's what repentance is, looking at yourself in a, in a different way and saying, you know, I didn't think I could be like this. I didn't think, I never thought that this could be me that I could be like this, but I am. So in the passage that we have, you know, they call it a turning, sometimes people say a change of mind, but, it be, but what it feels like is becoming somebody you don't recognize. Like, I don't recognize this kind of behavior in myself anymore, this way of thinking in myself. That's repentance. And so you change your life. Your life ends up, ends up changing. Now you say, changing how? What, what changes are you talking about? Because that, you know, especially for non-Christians who might want to repent and believe and follow Christ, this usually is the obstacle, right? Because there are things they're afraid, that there are things that they might have to change in their life. They don't want to change. So that would be a question, you know, what, what, what has to change? And actually, I would say, looking at the way these things happen as a pastor, it's kind of hard to answer. It's hard to be specific about what changes because when you become a Christian everything goes on the table and the Holy Spirit is different for different people he places his finger Holy Spirit will place his finger on the very thing that is most obscuring your view of Christ the thing that is most keeping you from a view of Christ what is that thing it's different for different people I'll tell you for me uh, it was smoking pot and getting high. I got high regularly, you know, and um, I actually was becoming a Christian because I thought this, this was something that wouldn't be touched. And I knew I was safe in this because I knew that the word marijuana did not appear in the Bible. I knew this because I had been reading the Bible for a year and I knew marijuana is not in the Bible. So I was safe. I could certainly be a Christian and get high in a regular way on pot. Um, 
what I didn't count on, though, this, is, this was what the Holy Spirit put his finger on in my life and said, this you need to repent of. And what I, what I began to realize, even though marijuana wasn't in the Bible, the word pain was in the Bible. And that what was actually going on in my life was that I was dealing with pain in a certain way. And that was to try to escape it. And what I had to understand is, is, is there, I had to become a stranger to that way of thinking. That I had to take my pain, instead of trying to run and escape from my pain and getting high, I had to bring my pain to Christ. So I had a lot of pain in my life. And that was a repentance for me. It wasn't even so much about the marijuana as it was about how I addressed pain in my own life, my own heart. So what does this mean? It's to become a stranger to yourself. It means becoming childlike. It means seeing the worthlessness of the gods in your life. And so your life changes. So those are the two things I would put before you as what Christ is saying and what these passages are saying happens to people and what people need to decide to do if they're becoming a Christian. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to hit these two, repentance and faith? Why is it? Well, you might have figured it out by now if you are a Christian. And it's because this isn't just how to tell people to become Christians. This is a Christian life. You know, I could, we don't have time this morning, but um, I could bring you to passages that tell Christians to repent. Right? I could bring you to other passages, you probably know them, where, I, where it tells Christians to believe, to put their faith in Christ. So you begin to realize this is not just the beginning of the Christian life. This is the middle of the Christian life and the end of the Christian life as well. So the Christian life is really allowing the Holy Spirit to tell you where do you need to become a stranger to the past ways in which you've responded in your life. And where do you need to rest in the finished work of Christ? So, for example, you know, you might be a Christian and you're wronged in some way. And you, whenever you're wronged, whenever injustice is done against you, what happens? You get really mad. You clench your fists and you're like, ugh. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes to put his finger on your life and says, you need to become a stranger of that way of responding. Why? Because you now have Jesus Christ as your Lord. That means he, and he is Lord of everything, and you can be confident that every injustice will be repaid. Every wrong is going to be righted if Jesus Christ is Lord. So you, can, you know what? Your fist starts to unclench. Your heart starts to melt. Holy Spirit starts to say to you, and probably, you know, whatever was done to you, maybe in the larger picture, not as bad as what you deserved. <laughs> You start to look at things differently. It starts to change the way you respond just by changing your mind. Or maybe you're a single person and you say, you know, oh, when am I going to be married? You know, I'm waiting to be married. <clears throat> it's not happening. I'm incomplete. I mean, I'm living life as an incomplete person. What happens? The Holy Spirit starts to put his finger on you and say, no, I want you to look at things differently. I want you to understand you're part of the bride of Christ. You will not miss out on a wedding. You will not miss out on the greatest love that there is in this life because you can live your life in the love of Christ. It starts to change. Or maybe you're a parent 
and you have a, uh, a habitually misbehaving child and you start to respond in a certain way, it's like, oh, I, always, I don't like the way I respond to my child, but it always keeps happening. Ugh. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes and puts his finger on your life. So I need you to repent. I need you to look at this differently so you understand that what you have in front of you is, is not a feather in your cap. It's a, a work in progress. And you've been given the privilege of, of overseeing this work in progress, of praying for this work in progress, and of guiding the heart of this work in progress. This is an adventure for you. It just changes the way you look at something. You look at things, and what happens? You repent, or maybe, maybe it's lust that uh, you have this difficulty with, lust and, and struggling with pornography. And what happens? It's just something you want. You have to have it. And so you go back to it because you have to have it. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and put his finger on that area of your life and says, you have to realize how many delights God has given you. He's given you, I want, you're going to look at it a different way. Life is full of legitimate delights for you to enjoy. One after another, after another, after another. But if you come in, into this realm of illicit enjoyments, Okay, you're really in bondage, in a bondage that is slowly killing you. So you start to change. I'm not giving you a whole answer to all of these problems, but I'm trying to give you some examples. This is the way repentance works in our lives, right? And it's the same. Your way forward is also through faith. Your way forward is to realize where you need to rest in Christ because the Holy Spirit is saying something to you. What is the area of your life in which you need to rest in him. And the Holy Spirit, the way he does it, comes to you and he says, what would it look like if you trusted me in this area of your life? What would it look like if you really did believe in me in this area of your life? You rested in me and what I've done for you. So these are the kinds of things that happen and we realize that this is what it is. This is what the Christian life is. Believe and repent. Sorry, I like saying that. Laura, does this does this building need any help with the roof? Is there any, any roof work on here? I don't know. I'm thinking about Phoenixville now. <laughs> I can just picture it. Repent and believe. That's what we need to do. Now, you say, this might seem like a lot to ask somebody who's just beginning to believe. But what, what would make this possible? Well, remember the word that we use. It's these are responses. These are responses. Responses are always something that happens after something else, right? They're responding to something. What are they responding to? They're always responding to the story, to the story of the good news. It is only predicated on what Christ has done for us. When we, begin to, when we understand that, then these become natural responses. When we finally grasp what he has done. So what we're going to do now is we're going to turn and step into that story again. We're going to go back from this old book to the communion table, which celebrates what Christ has done. And this is what Mary Kay found. Eventually, at last, she found a place where that would tell her the truth. She found someone who would explain a story to her, and it opened up the power that she needed in her life. So let us turn to the table now. Let's step back into what Christ has done. Come to the table, repent, and believe. <laughs>